long ago foretold his birth, he became the living word to show the human heart its worth. Oh, whether on the lawn or plan, whether on the hell or ill, our God promises his children. song. My name is Tracy Hankel. I'm the discipleship director here at the Clinton Township campus and it's truly my pleasure to welcome you today and get to do the greeting and tell you about a few things that we have going on here at Kensington. So if you are brand new here at Kensington, I want you to know that starting point is the first stop for you. There's volunteers wearing orange shirts there that can answer all kinds of questions that you might have from where did Kensington come to, from to where are the bathrooms? Because we know that this is a big place and sometimes you just don't know where to start. So we make it easy for you, starting point. Well, I want to tell you about a few events that we have coming up here at Kensington. And the first one is on the January 19th and 20th is the leadership gathering. 
And I want you to know that that event is for all people. Whether or not you consider yourself a leader or not, you are a position of influence someplace in your life. And so we create this event because we want our leaders and people of influence to have a great way to kick off 2018 coming from a place of wholeness and wellness. And so we named the leadership gathering this year Thrive. It'll be at the Troy campus on January 19th and 20th, complete with workshops and amazing speakers. Watch this. Lead. You can't lead if you're not hearing the voice of God. Together, there is nothing that we can't do. I really believe that God has given us a sacred trust. God wants to do the work in you first, and he wants you to respond so that we can go out and force together from this place. Good. Isn't this great? This is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. You know what else is so cool about that event? It's absolutely free. So if you're a leader in your home or your workplace or here at Kensington, you are invited yourself, bring a friend. If you're a practical person like me who likes to hear those things, but then it's like, what do I do with them? How do I actually uh, put those into play? We're having workshops that you can sign up for also on Saturday morning. So register online just so we know how many are coming. We make sure we have enough food for you. It is a fantastic event. We do it twice a year. We did it in the fall, and then we'll do it right now this winter to kick off our winter semester. And that's kind of how things go here at Kensington. We run things on a semester basis. And so fall ended, and we had our holidays, Thanksgiving, and we had Christmas. And everybody kind of took a break from classes and courses and groups. And now we're kicking off again our winter semester. So I want to invite you to think about joining a group of some sort, whether it's a community group, like a small group that meets in a home, or a care group like Celebrate Recovery, or whether it's a course like Alpha or Financial Peace University or Bible Basics. Because you know what we know? Community and growth in Jesus Christ, it happens in circles, and those happen in groups better than they happen in the rows that you're sitting in. We know that we are giving you fantastic things to think about and learn and grow on Sundays, but then we also know that you want more, and that happens in the context of circles and in groups. And I mentioned the leadership gathering and groups together, and I want to say, like, I have, I lead a small group, uh, sometimes I lead an alpha group, and one of my group members I invited to the leadership gathering, and her response was, oh my gosh, she's really quiet too. Oh, no, that's not for me. I'm not a leader. And I said, just come. It's for everybody. And she was sharing at our Alpha Group uh, reunion last week. She said, you know, that leadership gathering changed my life. It rocked my world. I learned things and was challenged to do things I had never done before. So small groups and leadership gatherings and things are like that are for us to have community and grow together 
in, in the context of relationships. So we encourage you to sign up for groups. You can find all of our open groups online at kensingtonchurch.org forward slash groups. Or if you have any questions about it, you can talk to people at the info center out in the lobby afterwards. The courses that are kicking off are Alpha, Financial Peace, and Bible Basics coming up in a couple of weeks. And I want to tell you a few things about Alpha because everyone has questions about their faith, whether you are a, a skeptic and you're here because you're, you don't know anything about the Christian, Christian faith and you're asking questions and you want to learn. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you just don't even know how to explain why you believe what you believe. That's what Alpha is all about. Watch this little video about it. Life is busy. Every day we ask questions like, what's happening today? What should I wear? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are bigger questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? These are some of life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through. That's why Alpha exists. Alpha is a place to explore life's big questions in a safe and open environment. It's a series of sessions where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions and ask questions without feeling judged. When you come to an Alpha, you'll notice that first, there's food. Whether it's a full meal or a light snack, this is the time to get to know each other in a casual setting. Next, you'll watch an Alpha talk. The talks are created to engage and spark conversation. They explore big issues around faith from a Christian perspective. After the talk is a time for discussion. This is the most essential part of any Alpha. It allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented in the talks. It's a time for people with different thoughts, beliefs, and experiences to ask honest questions and have open conversation. Every week, there are guests coming for the first time to an Alpha in their community. Alpha is for everyone, regardless of background or beliefs. There's no pressure, no follow-up, and it's completely free to attend. Come and explore life's big questions. Find an Alpha near you today. Well, Alpha at the Clinton Township campus is offered at three different locations. One of them is on Tuesday nights, and two of them are on Thursday nights. And it truly is a place where you can ask any question that you have. The talks are actually messages that we watch on DVD, and they answer questions like, why did Jesus have to die? And why is there suffering and evil in the world still today? How should I pray? How do I read the Bible? Really awesome topics. Everything is open and everything, everyone is welcome. And I just want to share, for example, in one of the Alpha courses that I led, a woman had signed up online. She did not come from Kensington. She was exploring Christianity. And we go around the room when you start and say, why are you here and what do you hope to get out of Alpha? And she said, I opened up the Bible, started in Genesis. It said that people live 700 years. I closed the Bible and I said, this is crap. That's how we started out her journey. And although she's still on that journey of deciding what she believes about it all, she's gone to more Alpha classes, Bible basics, women's study on Tuesday nights. It's just been a platform for her to start exploring. And we invite you guys to be a part of that all. 
Also, we know sometimes you're here on Sundays, and man, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can't wait for next Sunday because I love what happens here, and then I want more of it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. So to, to compensate for that, we sometimes get to offer you a midweek service, and that's coming up January 24th. And at the midweek service, we have worship. We have a lot of um, deeper message teaching that Chris does. And last, last time he did the midweeks, we talked about different people in the Bible, and he explored who Daniel was. He taught about Job, which was really challenging to hear. This time he's going to talk about Stephen, the disciple, who was the first one to be martyred, to be killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And what I love about those messages is I always walk away with new truths. He dives in a little deeper than he's able to do on a Sunday. So we invite you to be a part of that seven o'clock right here, January 24th. For now, I'd love to invite you to stand up and say hello to somebody. Tell them the best part about your day. And I hope it's being here.
That is such a powerful song, and what a way to start the day. Uh, the chorus is, I crave for your approval, and I am crave for survival. I mean, that's pretty deep, and it says, I'm fighting for your love. Today we're talking about craving approval. It's our first week in a four-week series that we're calling Crave, and this tagline is, I just can't say no to. Uh, Just to let you know, I believe that everybody here struggles with craving for approval in one way or the other. Uh, It may be that when you hear the lyrics of that song, that you may be tempted to think, well, that's for somebody else in this auditorium. Like, you know, maybe I've done that from time to time, but for the most part, that's that's my spouse or my friend who's not here or somebody else across the room. But the reality is this, that at one time or another, in fact, I would even argue and say daily, perhaps, in very small and subliminal ways, all of us change what we say or how we behave or even our actions for the approval of others. And so for a lot of us, it's in very small ways. And for some of us, it's in medium and large and and maybe even to the extreme. But here's what I would ask you to do this morning or this afternoon. I would say, just be willing to hear the truth. Be willing to unfold your arms or drop your wall of defense and ask the question, is this me? Because I guarantee we can find ourselves uh, in today's truths because it's in there. All of us uh, crave for approval at one time or another. Next week, by the way, uh, it's a very important week. In fact, I I hope you invite somebody and even think now. We're talking about, I just can't say no to the bottle. And it's uh, not only just the bottle, but it's also controlled substances as well. And then the third week, we're talking about, I just can't say no to my body. And that's a big deal. And then the fourth week is is really a lot to unpack. We're talking about how, how we are craving and we just can't say no to digital devices and everything that comes with that. There's so much. And so I hope and pray that you are on this journey with us and that you are ready to take a step toward hope, a step toward healing, and a step toward truth. So let's pray as we begin today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear from you. Lord, thank you for this time of celebration and even the journey we've been on already and for all the talent that has been up here and just taking us on this journey. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, just receive from you, that you give us the courage and the strength and even the uh, hope and the encouragement to take the next step toward you. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hey, uh, as we dive into this today, let me just go ahead and get this part out of the way, okay? I'd love for you to do an exercise with me. I'd love for you to turn and face somebody next to you or maybe somebody behind you, if you can, if there's somebody around you. But I want you to turn and face them right now. Look at them in the eyes right now and then shake their hand right now. Shake their hand. Continue to shake their hand and look them in the eyes and repeat after me. Say, I'm glad I don't look like you. All right, very good. Just, just, just getting that out of the way right now. As we talk about approval for others and others' opinions mattering, um, the bottom line is, is as we dive into this topic, uh, I don't think it, I don't think we have to go too far to uh, introduce the idea that we all have cravings. We called it crave, but it's synonymous with a desire. It's a synonymous with an appetite, and all of us know the nature of appetites, right? Uh, an appetite. If you feed an appetite, what does it do? It grows. If you if you starve an appetite, what does it do? It shrinks or goes away. And the nature of an appetite is, an appetite is never fully nor finally satisfied. In other words, you never have one meal to end your craving for all meals. 
Uh, if you crave a, a, a sexual temptation or something like that, uh, no matter how you fulfill that, you never have an experience that satisfies that craving that is going to make the rest of the cravings in that category go away forever. Cat- uh, cravings or desires or appetites, they only know one word, and the word is more. And we crave all sorts of things, don't we? We crave food. We crave uh, sexual things, as we're going to mention probably in the third and fourth week. We crave stuff. But guess what? We crave approval. We crave affirmation. A lot of us have an appetite to be right in an argument. And I know that one for a fact, right? We, we, we want to win. That's an appetite. We crave all sorts of things. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a craving that was so strong that you had to get out of your house and go get it or go find it. But I think a lot of times in our lives, we do the same thing. And so let me ask you this question. Have you ever craved something that was bad for you? I would ask you to raise your hand, but what's the point, right? Because all of us have done that. And so as we dive into this, we're really talking about the struggle, and it's comforting to know that the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, 2,000 years ago, told us in so many words as we're about to read that this is not a new struggle. We could identify immediately with the human condition as it existed the same 2,000 years ago. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse number 15. Paul starts off by saying, I really don't understand myself. You could probably already identify for what I want to, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree the law is good, and the law is the Bible. So I am not the one doing wrong, but the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And if I, uh, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And what Paul is unpacking here is he's saying, hey, there's a sinful nature in all of us. And if this is new news for you, like it or not, you are born imperfect. You and I have issues, right? Raise your hand if you have issues. Go ahead and raise your hand if you have issues. If you didn't raise your hand, you have some major issues because all of us have issues. There's nobody perfect. Uh, The book of Romans says we're born into a world filled with sin and decay. And when mankind chose to go his own way, a separation from us and God, Paul is acknowledging the fact that we live in a broken world and that that the tendencies, the desires that he has somehow conflict with his head knowledge and his his desire to do what is right. And he's referring to to the issues that we all have. It's the human condition. Verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God, God's law, with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he says, oh, what a uh, a miserable person I am. If you can relate to that comment, then you're in the right place, right? We're not a perfect people or a church by any stretch of the imagination, but, but, we hopefully try to deliver truth and point people toward not only truth, but also maybe even next steps. And uh, it's, they're not the next perfect steps, but they're the best steps that we can possibly suggest for anybody throughout the course of this series to take that we have. So he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. And then he asks a very important question. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Question mark. 
Thank God, exclamation mark. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. I think all of us know what it's like to, approve, or to, to crave the approval of others. And um, I think that uh, you know, it's, it's important to understand that, that that's actually not a bad thing. It's really important and healthy to want the approval of your wife or your spouse or your husband. It's important to want the approval of your family. We know that chemically in our brains. I mean, uh, scientists even say dopamine is released. Uh, We receive compliments from one another. God wired us that way. Those things are not bad. However, it's when that we begin to define our self-worth by the opinions of others and our performance. When we derive our self-value and our self-respect and self-esteem from other people's approval, it has a tendency to ruin our lives. In fact, we, I would even say it, it robs us from life. It robs us from the life that God wants from us and wants for us. When it controls our life, it's a different deal altogether. I'd love for you to watch this video uh, by uh, somebody that goes to Kensington, Jack Wilson. He, is, uh, he volunteers his time as a psychologist to our staff. He's been a psychologist for years. I'll give you his uh, part of his bio. He's a former associate vice president at Oakland University. He's an adjunct professor at the Michigan State Medical School and Oakland University School of Health Science. He's a consultant to the United States Army. He's a professional psychologist to the PGA Tour. He did all the greats like Lee Trevino and Greg Norman and all those guys. And then he he also has many other things under his belt. Dave Wilson, our Orient pastor, sat down and asked him about uh, this idea of uh, craving approval. So watch this. So Jack, we're talking about cravings, uh, addictions in this series. How would you define that? I know you deal with this kind of stuff all the time in your own life. Sure. But obviously counseling people, how would you describe, define a craving that a person can't say no to? Well, a craving is both psychological and physiological. And when we, uh, when we get, whether it's craving for chocolate or craving for alcohol or craving for a controlled substance, we actually have kind of a physiological change, you know, in, in the whole mind-body system. Uh, and thinking about that, you know, visualizing it. You know, you've heard me say that 24 hours a day, we're constantly talking to ourselves, both in words and in pictures. And when we have cravings, those show up as pictures in our brain. And a picture is worth what? A thousand words, right? You know, so when we picture the, you know, the object of our, of our desire or, or at some point perhaps the object of our addiction, uh, then it basically overpowers the whole system. Uh, and makes us think about it you know, in a compulsive. You can almost use compulsive and craving sort of as synonyms. Now, how do I know or how does a person know when a craving is good and when it gets dangerous? Uh, uh, whenever uh, a craving interferes with our ability to leave a normal, healthy, uh, relationship-centered life, then it's something we really ought to be giving some serious thought to. So let's say week one of this series, I struggle with your approval mm-hmm. and everybody's approval. Right. How can I test that to see if it's really determining how I feel? Okay. If you're struggling with approval, um, then you, you, there's a variety of different things that you want to do, but you want to begin having an attitude change. 
okay? Uh, because approval is an attitude. You know, and attitudes are incredibly powerful, okay? Uh, so if you have an attitude that I need somebody's approval, then st start thinking differently, start visualizing differently. Um, but in that process, start kind of analyzing where did this come from? Um, you know, you know, I'm really big on, on personality types and things like that, you know, and certain personality types are more likely to care about other people's attitudes, you know, so we want to start there. Uh, some people have been, uh, grew up in dysfunctional families, uh, and they were not allowed to be who they really are. So they become very concerned about approval because they were trying to fake it without even knowing they were faking it because that was their environment. Uh, but they've not been allowed to express who they truly are. You know, so you start thinking in, in terms of kind of a, in, the, in the existential sense, who am I? Uh, and if you grew up in a dysfunctional family that did not allow you to develop um, by trying things out, by making mistakes, by talking honestly about your emotions, um, then you're going to have to go through some of that. Well, one thing is clear, <clears throat> regardless of where you are on this journey, uh, it's pretty clear that it, it goes pretty deep, and it's a lot to unpack, and we're certainly not going to be able to give a full answer or make uh, all the progress in a 35-minute message or a 70-minute service. So, so today, our hope is just to uh, take one step in the right direction. Uh, we have some information that's taken directly from The Search for Significance, which is a book by Robert McGee. If you want to follow up on anything you hear today, that would be a good book for you to research. It's called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. And so he talks about three patterns that we fall into that actually, uh, they, they actually uh, go along with what Jack alluded to. Here's the first pattern. The first pattern is the performance trap, and it's known as a pattern of the mind. And it's believing this, that our self-worth equals my performance and people's opinion. And the reason why it's called a pattern of the mind is because it, it, it alludes to the fact that this is the way that we think, whether we know it or not. And, and nobody would say, oh yeah, that, that, that's what I think when interviewed or when, when responding immediately. This is subliminal. This is deep. This is, this is beneath the surface, right? We, we think, we're thinking to ourselves, man, I, I didn't realize I believed that way to such a degree that it actually, uh, you know, affected my words or my choices or how I acted for people's approval. It's, it's beneath the surface. And again, to small degrees, medium, large, and even extremes, a lot of us, we have to understand that the, that the very first thing that we need to do is believe the right truth. Because when we believe the wrong truth, which is, you know, my self-worth equals these things, then it's a pattern of the mind that leads to a performance trap. And by the way, it started when we were younger. Right? I mean, Mrs. Abbas in the third grade put a gold star by my name and I made the good child list. And I realized that performance equals self-worth, right? I, I, got, I didn't get cut from the, from the football team when I tried out, but my brother did, which meant, you know, I was better. I was worth more, right? Uh, you know, when, when, when you go to your job, it's the same thing. It, it never goes away, does it? In, into our adulthood, we just go to work and deal with the same thing. Um, Joyce Meyer wrote a book as well called Approval Addiction. And here's what she said in that book. She said, the need for approval and acceptance from others affects your personal relationships, your prayer life, and your personal ability to be promoted in life. Which is interesting, isn't it? When you think about those things, we, we might argue, but the reality is it's there for all of us. 
I remember when I was, uh, I told this story a very long time ago, but when I was in college, I worked for a company called MCI Long Distance. Does anybody remember MCI? It was eventually bought up by Sprint, by the way. So MCI, I was doing telemarketing and I was actually at one time like the number one salesman there. I made a bunch of money. Uh, you know, my performance, I thought, spoke for itself. But everybody, all the college students had to go home for the summer. Uh, or at least I chose to because I wanted to see my girlfriend who's now, you know, my wife. And, and so I thought, hey, I'm not staying here for money or a job. So I quit. And they said, well, you realize you have to get rehired if you quit this job. Well, everybody did it. We came back in September for the next semester and uh, everybody, all my friends got hired. I outperformed all those guys, but they got hired, and then, I, then it was my turn. And I thought, well, if they get hired again, it'll be a breeze for me because I'm, you know, the number one salesman. So I walked in, sat down for my first interview. That went okay, but my second and final interview, this guy was not impressed with any of my numbers at all. And so whatever I told him that I did or how well I did or how good I was, he was not impressed. I said, did you see my sales record? And he goes, Chris, I'm not impressed with that at all. He goes, I want to know about you. He goes, tell me something that you personally you know, achieved. And I'm thinking like, what does this guy want? So I said, well, let me tell you, I've been working like 38 hours and I've been taking 21 hours of school and I got a 3.85 grade point average. And he goes, yeah. I was like, What? I was thinking like, are you serious? Like that didn't impress him. And all of a sudden I started to have visions of my future changing because of this one Yahoo of a guy over here. I thought like this guy is not going to hire me for some reason. And all of a sudden I'm not going to make any money. All my friends are going to get all this great benefits. I'm, I'm going to be poor the whole semester all because of this one guy. I'm thinking like, can I get somebody else? And I, and, and, but this guy was my roadblock. And he says, well, tell me something else. And I said, well, okay. Uh, I started thinking about things that I... I'm good at. And I said, well, I actually achieved like a brown belt in Taekwondo and I did it quicker than most people, blah, blah, blah. He goes, eh. I was like, come on, right? And and all of a sudden I, I panicked. I didn't know what to do. So I completely lied about something. I just made something up. First thing out of my mouth. And, and he goes, anything else that you can think of? And I go, I lost 120 pounds. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I go, yeah, 120 pounds. And he goes, seriously? And he perked up like he was really impressed. And I was like, yes. And I go, I think I have a picture. And I'm like, oh, I left my wallet at home. <laughs> Trying to, you know, make the live a little bit more believable. So he says, he goes, man, he goes, how'd you do that? And I wasn't prepared for that question. So I said, the first thing that came out of my mind, I said, oh, I did it by wheat germ. <laughs> I don't even know what wheat germ is. I just said it. And he's like, wheat germ? I'm like, yes, wheat germ. And he's like, wow. I'm like, I know, right? And so I got hired. So the moral of the story is, you know, don't lie, kids. But, but it, it's true because it's, it felt like I just had to outperform, you know, my previous story just for this guy to, you know, think I was worth a hire. And the amazing thing is, is that when that happens a billion times in our lives, it's easy to fall into this pattern. Um, by the way, let me just say this. If you have this mindset, some things may be, not, not guaranteed, but some things in your life may point back to this. A constant fear of failure, a, a need for perfectionism, a drive to succeed, manipulating others to achieve, uh, uh, withdrawal from healthy risks, a, a constant anger or resentment, pride, depression, low motivation, Here's what we have to understand. Since, since our need for self-worth and self-significance comes from God, then only God can tell us how to best fulfill those needs. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 3 and 4. 
Peter says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or the wearing of gold and jewelry and fine clothes. And you, you, you see how that encompasses more than looks, right? It's financial status and how, how we feel about our wealth. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You see, there's a big difference between self-worth, which is feeling good about yourself, and your self-respect or your self-value and self-acceptance, which only comes from God. Here's the second pattern. Once we believe it, then it translates into our actions and what is known as the approval addiction. That is our pattern of what we choose to do which says, I must now constantly receive affirmation from others to continually feel good about myself. Now again, are we willing to admit this? But but, but once we believe that way, we behave that way, as long as we're getting affirmation, then life is great. But we must continually get affirmation in order for our self-esteem to be okay. And if that changes, then we're doomed. And if it changes, then we either are driven or we withdraw. In fact, I would even say we're driven even to maintain it. Uh, Driven people, they shoot for perfection. They're hard on themselves and other people think they're awesome and they think they're not even close to where they need to be. Driven people work so hard for perfectionism that they work so hard that their marriage is in trouble. And and, and he would say, well, don't you understand? Or she would say, don't you understand? I have to achieve. And somebody would say, why? I don't know. But it's there. It's in me, man. It's a drive. And those things can be productive. But at what cost? And sometimes we are unwilling or unable to, to dig a little deeper. And so that's what driven people do. Withdrawn people, they actually have a tendency to uh, re- re- uh, remove themselves from healthy risks, especially relationally. Withdrawn people become passive aggressive and they really check out of life relationally. Uh, you know what it reminds me of? When I, I played baseball for 11 years and uh, I remember we always used to have this exercise on who was the fastest. And we would line up on home plate and he'd say, go! And then one would run this way, one would run this way, we'd run around the bases opposite. Whoever hit home plate first, you know, was the fastest. And I was never the fastest. I was like the second fastest always. Uh, Dave Dobaccio, I, I hate that kid, but... but <laughs> But I was really fast and I was good at it. But I remember this one guy, this one guy. I won't tell you his name, but his name was Nick. And, but he, he wasn't fast. And so they said, go. And you know what he used to do? He used to go, ready, go. And he'd go like this. And he'd just walk, right? And he's like, hey, hey. And everybody's like, ah, they'd laugh. And he'd do this, right? And you just think to yourself now, later on, you're looking back, you're like, that's a defense mechanism, right? He doesn't want to face rejection. He doesn't want to really try and come in like a whole base, you know, length last. He just doesn't want to try. So he's checking out. I think to myself, a lot of us walk through life that way because we don't want to put ourselves up there for rejection. We don't want to try relationally. So you know what we do? We just kind of mosey on through life and we just you know, not even engage relationally with others. You know what Galatians chapter one, verse 10 says? This is one of the strongest statements about this. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia and he says, ask this question. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. The context of this is that in his letter to the church in Galatia, he's writing hard truth, like truth that they don't want to hear. He's, you know, telling them as a pastor, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. And what he's trying to say is, my motivation isn't based on your approval of me. 
He's saying, am I trying to win the approval of people or of God when I write these things? Or am I still trying to please people? Because if I were trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. And Paul is trying to say, even back then, he's unpacking his motives and saying, my opinions, my actions, my thoughts, my words, they're not dependent on your approval or your opinion. It's amazing to me because that, those verses stand as a litmus test. It is, it is the bar that we need to ask ourselves. Are we living our lives trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or are we trying to please people? Because if we're trying to live our lives pleasing people, we should not be the servant of Christ because the servant of Christ understands that only God matters. Only his opinion matters. We serve an audience of one and that is the one who defines our self-worth. And so when it comes down to it, um, you and I, uh, when we find ourselves uh, acting sensitive to criticism, being easily manipulated, withdrawing from others to avoid disapproval, having a fear of rejecting and attempting to please others at any cost, we need to recognize that we're in the downward spiral of the patterns. Here's the third pattern. It's called the blame and shame game, which means if we believe and think, we we believe something, we think something, therefore we act a certain way, and when it goes good, that's fine. But when it doesn't go well for us, and someone gives us disapproval, then we play the blame and shame game. Let's talk about blame first. First of all, we blame ourselves because those who strive for approval are very hard, very hard on themselves. And so they'll blame themselves. And then, and then and worse, sometimes we'll blame others because we're unwilling to admit that disapproval is accurate. Because if, if, if disapproval is accurate, then that means we have no worth. And if we have no worth and we come to accept that, then you know what comes? Shame. There's blame and then there's shame. And, 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 and the bad part is it starts the spiral uh, over again. Because when we have blame and shame, guess what we do? We have motivation to up our performance. And then we start over again performance, believing a certain way, striving for it, getting it, not getting it, blame and shame, up our performance even more. And it is a spiral that robs us of life. And so when it comes down to it, we need to break the cycle. And our thinking should come from what we believe about what God says about us. We are loved, we are accepted, and we are valued by him. You know, the Bible actually says that you are created as God's masterpiece, And that God doesn't love you if, conditionally. And this may be brand new news for you. If you grew up like me in a church, a very traditional church, where you were taught that God's approval was based on your church attendance and church involvement. I know that some of you, you don't even have to nod your head. I already know that some of you were thinking like, if I go to church, I get God's approval. I gotta tell you something. The Bible is radically, with crystal clarity, says the opposite of that belief. God doesn't love us conditionally. If we go to church or if we check the box or if we jump through hoops like I've been taught when I was a child. The Bible says that God loves us not because or if. God loves us in spite of our sins, in spite of our issues. He loves us unconditionally as we are. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God rejoices over your worth and value with singing. He, and you're thinking, not me, man, I'm messed up. I'm in a different category. No, you're missing it. You're the only reason why God sent his only son to the world because he loved the world. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen says, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, all motivated because God loves you. 
If you want to write down any statement at all, here's the strongest statement of the day, and it's this. The one who designed you, which is your heavenly father, the one who designed you is the only one who has the power to define you. The one who designed you is the only one who has the power to define you. And we get our cue from what God says, that we are enough, that we are accepted, and that we don't need the approval of anyone else to feel good about who we are. So when we begin to transform our thinking, we, we, we receive a new truth, a new belief, and then we actually say, can I get my thinking around that? And when we start to believe it, we, we actually, uh, it changes the way we think, the way we choose our words, our actions and our reactions. Here's what Paul says about that. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, right? They're earthly patterns. You might even argue and say the patterns that we just looked at, that the sinful human nature patterns don't conform to those, but strong transition, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul is saying when we allow our minds to be transformed by believing what is true, then we will begin to experience God's good and pleasing and perfect will for our life. And what is that? God says his will for us is to experience a life of blessing, a life of confidence, a life of significance. Jesus calls it abundant life. It's the life that God wants for us. That is the first step in believing. And again, no massive progress may take place today, but one step toward hope, one step toward believing. And maybe for some of you, it's one step toward Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a program that we have currently. We'll have it at our new building in May or June or sometime like that. But in our, in our, in, uh, currently, it exists at the Troy campus on Monday nights. And did you know this? I don't know if you know this or not. But over 80% of the people who show up on Monday nights at Troy campus, out of all of them, 80% of them, they don't struggle with alcohol or substance abuse. Some people think celebrate recovery is that. It's only 20%. Most of the people come there for other reasons. And guess what the largest group, and they break off into groups, different tables for discussion and questions. Do you know the largest group that exists at Celebrate Recovery? It's approval, or it's, it's addiction to other people's approval. That's it. It's the largest group. That exists. If you want to show up and just press into it and you're thinking, I don't want to show up. I don't want to see anybody I know. I don't want, I don't know anybody. I'm all alone. The courage to overcome those hesitations will prove to be some of the best steps you'll ever take in your life. And when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, yeah, you and I can uh, take one step towards celebrate recovery. We're going to have a couple people up here afterwards, a prayer team uh, for people who want to just pray about something, but also a couple representatives from CR and they'll have a lanyard on that says CR, which means celebrate recovery. And celebrate recovery is also available at a table in our lobby as well. Well, let me share with you one last set of verses found in Philippians chapter four. This is the message version, which means it's a paraphrase, but look what it says. It says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. I'm telling you, I'm going to show you some more steps after this video. 
But let me just encourage you to listen to Judy Stoll's story. Judy's a, uh, part of Kensington, I think the Orient campus. Um, is it Orient, Kristen? Is it Troy? And Judy is, uh, has been around for a while. And I got to tell you, this is an unbelievable story. I got to throw a disclaimer out there. This is a PG-11 video. She mentioned some things that are sensitive. Not too bad, but if you have somebody under 11 and you want to slip out, that'd be great if you would do so. And um, for the rest of you, before we show you the video, we want to take just a moment and receive our offering. And as our ushers are coming down, let me just say this. Uh, just thank you for giving. If, if you're visiting here today, this moment isn't designed for you. It's designed for people who are part of Kensington. Uh, thank you for giving. It's actually a big part of our faith, the Bible says, giving back to what God has blessed us with. But it's difficult to give financially for some of us. So thank you for doing so and for trusting us and trusting God's word, uh, most importantly. As that's passing and as you're getting prepared for the offering, uh, try to find your story in Judy's and also try to look for the patterns that we just talked about and how she was introduced to hearing the truth and how it changed her life over the course of the years. When I was young, I, I loved my mom. She was, a, she was just a gorgeous, really talented person, just beautiful. She didn't have any self-worth. She wasn't a Christian and um, had already been left from one husband. This was her second marriage. And um, I think she knew my dad was having affairs and uh, she just did whatever it took. She was a June Cleaver during the day and a Marilyn Monroe at night. I watched that in her life, and I thought, well, if it worked for her, um, I guess the whole time I was, until I got married, I just thought that's what I would have to do. Eventually, I started getting interested in boys. I started dressing kind of seductively, and I didn't think I could get approval just for who I was. When I was 15, Johnny um, came into my life, he was uh, everything I ever wanted. I knew the minute I met him that I would never let him go. It wasn't even six months we were having um, sex. And a lot of times, if he would want to take me home early or anything, um, that's, how I, that's how I would keep him. One night I came home after being out late in Johnny's car, and my father was up, he had been drinking, and he called me a slut. I guess if, I, I thought that if anybody could spot one, he could, because of the way his life was. And uh, I never got his approval, I guess. Or maybe I did. I don't know. I thought, maybe I thought women were supposed to be like that. And that that's all they were good for. Because that's the way he treated my mom. And um, that's the picture I had of myself. Eventually, Johnny and I did get married. I remember Johnny um, always saying to me, um, all I want from you is I want you to look good, 
smell good, and take care of the children. That's all I ever thought about was uh, how I looked and if he would even come home for lunch and I didn't have my makeup on or my lipstick on or something. He would say, are you sick? Don't you feel good? I couldn't really be myself. I could never be myself. I always had to wear a, uh, a mask. I didn't feel like I could ever just be who I was. I found a Playboy magazine under the mattress. Um, I got really mad, very angry. I felt very rejected, and I knew I had competition. One night, he, I had had a candlelight dinner all set for him. Um, the kids were tucked in bed, and he called and said he wouldn't be home because he had some other things that he had to do. By the time he got home, I was so angry. I went out, and I had an affair. Um, just a one-time affair. I couldn't believe that I had done that. I, was, I came home and I told him, um, hoping that he would show some kind of concern, but he didn't. He just he let me know that he really didn't care. About three months later, I found out I was pregnant, and then we were really scared. Uh, I knew that it wasn't my husband's baby. I went and had an abortion. And uh, one of the reasons I had the abortion was so that nobody would know what I did, that I had been unfaithful. I wanted to hide it. I didn't want my children ever to know that I wasn't the perfect mother, um, a perfect wife. I decided one night that I couldn't live with myself anymore for what I'd done. So I was standing in the bathroom and considering taking my life and the phone rang at three in the morning. It was my twin sister. What she told me was that an angel woke her up and said to call me because I was in trouble. So I remember hanging up the phone, going in my living room and praying to God, if you're real, please show me. So three weeks later, we went to a Billy Graham crusade. It was like he knew my story. There were 75,000 people there. And the first scripture he quoted was about the adulterous woman. And I remember him saying that Isaiah 118 said that as even though your sins are red as scarlet, that he would wash you as white as wool, that he would forgive you. It was news I never knew. I had no idea that God was like that. I thought God was like my dad, that he was um, angry all the time, and I should be scared of him. I went to the altar and asked Jesus into my heart, because that's what I wanted. I wanted forgiveness. I wanted to, he said I could be made brand new. I remember going home, and I saw myself as a completely different person. I was just totally free to be who I wanted to be. And it wouldn't matter who got mad at me if I, <laughs> if I didn't, you know, act the way they wanted me to act. All that mattered is that what God thought of me, even though I knew mercy and grace from God, I still didn't have that mercy and grace for Johnny. I put a lot of blame on him for my actions. He visited a church that I was attending. And um, again, the evangelist was preaching his story and he got saved.
I saw a change in Johnny that was incredible. After the Billy Graham crusade, I found out that I was pregnant. I just couldn't believe that God would allow me, would trust me to be a mom again after what I'd done, that he would really trust me. So for the next nine months, I was scared to death. So the day came when I went to the hospital and delivered the baby. And the nurses and the doctors kept looking at me saying, Judy, look at your baby. He's just a beautiful baby boy. And I didn't want to look because of that fear of punishment. And I finally looked at my child, John Dempsey Stoll. And that's when I really saw mercy and grace. I couldn't believe it, that God would give me this beautiful baby. He gave me beauty for ashes. I just um, thank God every day. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, there's so many phenomenal things about that story. It's just, it's almost overwhelming, isn't it? It's hard to believe. Uh, and yet, that, that moment where she says at three in the morning and she's standing and contemplating ending her life and then her twin sister calls at three in the morning and says an angel woke her up. It's like, man, I mean, that is an unbelievable, awesome moment. And it's one of those moments that's defining for sure. And maybe for you, maybe it's not three o'clock in the morning standing in front of a mirror. Maybe for you, maybe this is the wake-up call. Maybe you being here or getting invited or coming back after Christmas, you know, or maybe just showing up casually as you have been doing, and maybe God is kind of tapping you on your shoulder and, and nudging you in your heart or in your mind and saying, like, this is me getting your attention. Because if he directs us toward hope, toward a truth that we believe and start to accept and then to think and to pattern our life after and then begin to experience. And again, for Judy, it wasn't overnight. It was years after coming to know the truth, coming to know God. And then years later, she delivers her story in seven minutes, but the story is made over years. And so whatever step that God wants you to take, I pray that we would learn to take it. Uh, I told you I'd give you... uh, Beyond the first step, here are some, here's just five things. Steps to freedom. Finding our identity in Christ, which is our number one value at Kensington. To, to then let that belief lead us to right thinking. And then to be honest with ourselves and others. Then to pursue affirming relationships. And by the way, for some of us, that means maybe to eliminate unhealthy relationships. And then to give yourself time to understand that it's a journey that God wants us all on. I pray that this would just be the beginning. At the end of the four weeks, we're going to ask people to consider bringing up a crave token and laying it on the stage, whatever represents your craving or your thing that you want to give up and say, God, I'm done with this. We'll be talking about that over the next three weeks as well. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask your blessing on our time. Lord, whatever step it is that you want us to take, whether it's an internal step or whether it's a relationship adjustment or whether it's a conversation that we need to have with somebody else to confide in or maybe it's a a questionnaire that we need to put out there to find out about ourselves because we can't see things in ourselves. Father, I pray that we would understand and we begin to embrace the truth that, Lord, you are the one who designed us and that, Father, you are the only one who has the power to define us. 
I pray that that would be enough and that we would be enough and that we may learn to look to you and trust you for all things. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during this next song, you're going to hear a combination of scripture from Psalm 139, beautifully read. And you're not going to want to miss these moments. The song itself talks about how God doesn't miss a thing. And how even though oftentimes we feel like maybe God doesn't see all of us, the reality is, is God sees all of us, good and bad. He doesn't miss a thing and that we are created in his image with love.
You see it all, you see it all, and you're in there. 
is so good. Amen. Amen. There's no better way to respond to the truth that we have just heard than to lift our voices and sing to Him. So I know you guys know this last song, so I just encourage you, wherever you're at right now, to just take this time to sing out to Him.
things before you head out. The first is, I hope that you have taken with me one step toward hope and truth and life change, and that you would invite somebody back for the next week as we're tackling a pretty big topic of just not saying no to the bottle. Also, the, the song that we originally opened with that Danielle sang, I Crave Your Approval, that was a Kensington original that we wrote that is available for free download through our app. So you can download that as well. And, I, and then again, if you need to come down and pray with anybody, ask a question, talk to a CR representative or go to C, CR out in the lobby. Uh, they're there for you. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.